uh, take your Bibles again. Let's go to Revelation chapter 8. All right, so as we like to say here at Union Grove Baptist Church, we peel God's Word one passage at a time. And we go through the Bible verse by verse, book by book, and try and get the best possible information to you that we can. Understanding that where I started from this morning, which sounds, I mean, it's like, okay, this is church, and we're talking about people's jobs and uh, issues, if you will, with uh, uh, problems that you're facing right now. Well, folks, when you go to the book of Revelation, it's all about problems that the world's going to be facing. Uh, chapter 4 through 22, I'll deal with pro- prophecy, things that have not come true and have not come to be at fulfillment yet. So it's very apropos, it's very in line with uh, what we're seeing across the country right now. So what we are starting today, we're going into what's known as the seven trumpet judgments. Again, when we, uh, and uh, we have several ladies, a couple ladies that have just had children, and they could very much attest to what we've been saying about having a child, the birth pains that they go through. What we've looked at so far, we looked at Revelation chapter 6, which dealt with the seven seal judgments. Actually, seal number 7 is going to open up, as we'll see, into the seven trumpet judgments, which will be in chapter 8 in just a moment. So we're looking at things that are going to be happening in the future. We're starting out with, if you will, even though they're extremely severe, we're looking at things that are literally going to happen on this earth in the future, horrible judgments that God is going to be bringing. I like to stress this is in the future. Right now with the things that we're seeing, it was the same issue that the the church of Thessalonica was facing. They were going through some severe persecution. Specifically, 2 Thessalonians 2, the Apostle Paul addresses the problem. The church was so upset, they were so afraid that they were entering into the seven-year tribulation period because of the horrible things that they were facing way back in the first century. We've seen in the media, and of course many of our Christian friends have put out, you know, this specifically dealing with the, the vaccine right now, is this the mark of the beast? And if you understand scripture, it absolutely cannot be the mark of the beast. And you say, well, why is that? Well, because the mark of the beast happens in the last half of the seven-year tribulation. A couple of events have to happen first, which we'll go through very quickly. The next major event on God's prophetic calendar is, and everybody knows this one, what's the next major event on God's prophetic calendar? The rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54, Christ comes in the air. One generation and one generation alone, dead and alive, will be immediately, Christians will immediately be translated up to heaven and given new glorified bodies. That's the next major event. Not the mark of the beast. The rapture has to happen first. Then the Antichrist comes on the scene, confirms a seven-year covenant with the Jewish people. Daniel 9, verse 27. I pound that verse because it's very operative with everything dealing with prophecy. The Antichrist comes on the scene, makes a peace treaty, a covenant with the Jewish people. Again, Daniel 9, 27, which kicks off the next seven years of horrible disasters that are going to happen on this earth. The mark of the beast is spoken about in Revelation chapter 13. That cannot happen until that first three and a half period goes by, which, by the way, includes the seal judgments we've talked about uh, two weeks ago. So the seal judgments will kick in 
the issue and why the mark of the beast happens. Now catch this. There's a very specific reason when the mark is instituted and why it's going to be instituted in the future. Antichrist uh, is going to be empowered by Satan midway through the tribulation period. Now he's going to be uh, have tremendous influence from the from Satan and the demonic world. But in again, for those taking notes, Revelation chapter twelve, starting at verse seven, there's a war in heaven where Satan literally is kicked out, and he is given authority over the earth for the next forty-two months. How long is forty-two months in years? Three and a half years, 1,260 days. You say, wait, 1,260, that doesn't work. We have 365 days in our calendar. Not in the prophetic calendar, the Jewish calendar has 360 days, so it's 1,260 days. So that's coming. So when Satan gets kicked out, he comes down. The last part of Revelation 12 says that Satan is absolutely beside himself. He's angry, and you know this one because his days are short. They're numbered. Uh, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. That is when Revelation 13 kicks in, and we're only in Revelation 8, so we're giving you a little ahead things, but most of you are aware of this. So what has to happen? Antichrist, the rapture happens. The Antichrist confirms his covenant with the Jewish people. A ten-nation confederacy will rise up. You say, where to get that from? Daniel 2, Daniel 7. Ten nations will rise up from what appears to be the old Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire back in uh, uh, the days when uh, the, the scriptures were written was not just little teeny tiny Roman Italy. It was the massive part which includes basically the European Union of today. Now you're saying the European Union, are they the ten confederate nations? They may be the infrastructure for it. They could be part of it. We don't know. Scripture is not concise on that issue. But we know the European Union basically is going to be that area, at least, that would uh, uh, match up with the revived Roman Empire. So the ten nations form. Then what happens? Three and a half years of pseudo-peace for the Jewish people. Then Satan gets kicked out of heaven. He uh, uh, literally empowers the Antichrist. The world will turn to him. That's why we talk on Wednesday nights about uh, a prophecy-focused global update. Roman Revelation chapter 13 makes it very clear that there's going to be three major institutions that will form during that last three and a half years of the tribulation. A one-world government. Did you catch that? One world government, it's not going to be split up like it is today where you have uh, several hundred different countries with their leadership. It'll be under one individual, which is indeed going to be uh, the Antichrist empowered by Satan. One world government, one world religion. Makes it very clear if you don't worship the beast being the Antichrist, if you don't follow the Antichrist, the penalty is death. Says you'll be killed. Very straightforward. So we have, well, oh, and then finally, a one world, and catch this now because this is where people are getting upset right now today, thinking we're entering the tribulation. A one world economy. You cannot buy or sell unless you have what? The mark. Last verse of uh, Revelation 13, 666, if you will, however that's going to play out. Uh, uh, these things definitely will be coming. So we're seeing, if you will, today, 
the infrastructure, God setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So it's getting our attention. And folks, the closer we get to the fulfillment of these things, the closer we get to the rapture, 2 Timothy 3 warns us, 2 Timothy 3, first several verses, that the days will get worse and worse and more corrupt, and folks, we're starting to obviously see these things come to fruition. I made the statement, several of you have when we talk in private, that we never, I never thought I would see things that are happening today in my lifetime. I quite frankly never thought I'd see the infrastructure forming as quick as it is, and it's like uh, I keep yelling out one word, and I think you yell it out with me. Maranatha, it's time for Jesus to come back. We keep looking up. Uh, uh, Justin mentioned Jimmy DeYoung a, a few moments ago, and we are going to get to the Bible. I'm, I'm almost done with the introduction. Um, Jimmy DeYoung, a very good friend, one of my mentors, one of my teachers, and uh, I talked to his son uh, last night after we got word that uh, Jimmy actually, and I, I can state it, it's, it's public, it's out on Facebook, he, uh, he has a severe case of COVID. Uh, he's at home. His doctor advised him, uh, literally, they want to do the treatment at home, and uh, the medical community, you can agree or disagree, but uh, based on certain things that are taking place, they felt it better for him to be home. Uh, his oxygen levels went down. They got the oxygen levels are starting to increase again. So, you know, keep praying for him. I love him, and, uh, and we want to see him in two months. So I don't even know if he'll be fit in two months to come here based on his condition, but we'll see. So pray for him. They've got to give him strength and uh, rise him up. But he always says this. We just keep looking up until. Until what? Until Christ comes to take us home to be with him. And we're all looking for the upper taker, i.e. Jesus coming in the clouds, not the undertaker. Amen? All right, well, let's move on. So here's our, our basic timeline that we've been using. And again, we currently, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have lived in what's known as the church age. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And the event that you see in the upper right, right box is when God takes this church the church, not meaning Union Grove Baptist Church, but the church universal, all believers in Jesus Christ, when he will take them to heaven. After that, which is where we're heading into this morning, uh, we look at the seven-year tribulation made of, of two separate parts. The first three and a half years characterized by a pseudo-peace for Israel, even though the world's going in chaos. If you remember the seven-seal judgments that talked about what will be taking place during that first three and a half years. We're looking at one-fourth of the world's population will be killed during that time. 7.3 billion people live on this earth today, which means 1.8 billion people will die during that first time if the numbers stay the same. Now we're moving into the next section. Last week, if you were here, you would always spoke on Revelation 7, which was about the 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelist that will go out and preach the gospel throughout the whole world. There are those that misinterpret a little bit of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 refers to the future. And the statement is made that the entire world will hear the gospel. The entire world. Some unfortunately say, well, that's during the church age that that has to happen. That's not the church age. Church wasn't started yet. It's speaking of the seven-year tribulation. 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 states very clearly that the gospel will go out to the entire world during that time. Who's going to do it? The church is up in heaven. Those 144,000 evangelists will be out there. The two witnesses spoken about in Revelation 11, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, will be out preaching. Many folks will get saved. The gospel will go out. All right, so a very quick review. The six seals that we've already looked at, and uh, we call them, first of all, the four horses of the apocalypse. Again, if you're visiting today, apocalypse simply comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which is the English word revelation. What book are we in today? Revelation. That's the, the Greek word apocalypsis. What does that mean? It's talking about apocalyptic literature, style literature. It includes symbolism, always about the prophetic future. So everything we're looking at uh, uh, is prophecy, and it's very well laid out. Those that say Revelation is confusing, probably either you read through it and didn't quite get the, uh, what was going on, or maybe the teacher didn't quite get it, uh, but it absolutely is not that tough to get once you spend some time studying it. It actually makes a whole lot of sense. All right, so what's going to happen? Uh, the first seal judgments happen during the first part of the tribulation period. We talked about the white horse, which basically represents the Antichrist coming. We talked about there'll be tremendous violence when men will be slaying each other. There'll be a tremendous famine unlike has ever existed in the world. And by the way, these are world events. World events. These aren't uh, uh, specific to Jerusalem. They're not specific to Israel. They're worldwide catastrophes that will be taking place. There we come up then with seal number four where it talks about that one-fourth of the world's population will die. Folks, that's, you think about what's happening now. We look at the death rates and, and, and now all of a sudden you ramp it up to where one-fourth of the world's population will die during that small period of time. It's catastrophic. Then we talked about believers will be martyred. Many folks will still come to Christ during the tribulation period. The, the unfortunate part is they will die a martyr's death. They'll come to Christ, but they will be slain. The uh, Bible talks literally in Revelation about their heads being taken off. But again, that's a horrible way to die. The good news is, though, they've come to Christ, and they'll be up with him. Then we looked at a catastrophic earthquake that will take place. Every hill, every valley, every island will be moved out of its place, unlike anything that's ever happened in the world before. Seal 7, which will start in Revelation 8 in just a moment, encompasses all of the seven trumpet judgments. Again, just to bring the verse to light, the seal judgments, Matthew chapter 24, verse 8, and Matthew 24, and Revelation work hand in hand. When we look at Matthew 24, 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows, all these seal judgments. It's just the start. The actual word there, when you get down to the Greek language, is talking about birthing pains. In other words, uh, when our dear ladies, and they go into the labor room uh, uh, before they get that far, all of a sudden the contractions start and the pains start, and they're severe and they're harsh, but it's nowhere near the intensity and the frequency of occurrence that will happen the closer you get to delivering the baby. So that's God uses that illustration to bring this issue home. All right, so today what are we going to be looking at? We'll look at the first several trumpet judgments. In other words, now we're going from the seal judgments, which were very severe. Now he's saying it's going to become more and more intense. 
The trumpets are going to sound. The warning call is being made by the trumpet judgments. So let's start out with Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Shh. It's coming. It's coming. The heavens are quiet. God silences the heavens for 30 minutes, so to speak. The judgment's coming. Are you prepared? Are you ready? The heavens shut down for a small period of time because the seven trumpets are about ready to announce. If you've ever been to a major event, maybe a, a concert or a sporting event or a political event, and all of a sudden you're getting ready for that event to take place. And there's a lot of anticipation. Now, usually in most places, there's a lot of racket, right? People are uh, hooting and hollering or talking, and there's a lot of noise. But the President of the United States is going to announce a very serious issue that's facing our country. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, whoa, shh, 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 don't say a word. And you're all waiting there with bated breath. What's he going to say? What's the issue? And God's saying the same kind of thing. We're waiting for a huge announcement. Shh, listen, you've got to hear this. You can't let it go by you. Verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. All right, now, of course, back in the day, and we're going to be looking at uh, trumpets like we're more used to, um, gold and silver, but really back in the day, they would have been talking about the shofar. In other words, the big ram's horn cut off of a, a ram's head, and those were literally the trumpets of the time. But uh, in our vernacular, we would be more in the big silver, gold trumpets, maybe those like you see in Britain or other major events that are taking place. What do they do? They're making an announcement. They're heralding something that's about to take place. They're making an event known. They want to get people's attention. So again, the trumpet is going to sound. These seven trumpets are going to sound, and they're going to be announcing each angel that is going to be pouring out this wrath that's going to be coming upon the earth. Now, time out. As we go into these, why is God doing this on the earth? Why all of a sudden is he going to cause this massive, horrible seven-year time, horrible tribulation? Is God just trying to mess with America? Is he trying to mess with the world? Is he trying to mess with different companies, the countries? The answer is absolutely no. Here's why God is doing this. If I ask you the question, how many people in the world today trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? And you may say yourself, you may say the folks in this room and other Bible-believing churches, but how many people truly in the world have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Well, it's a very small percentage. I've heard percentages as high as 10 to 15%. I think the percentage of true born-again believers that truly know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior is probably much less than 10% around the world, including America, by the way. American Last Statistic, we gave this several weeks ago. We have now come to the place in America where less than 50% of Americans will call themselves aligned with Christianity. Now, folks, that means every single 
group, whether they believe in the Bible's way of salvation through the death row, believing in the death row and resurrection of Christ, understanding they're sinners, understanding they're lost, understanding that Christ paid the debt for their sin. That's what we would go by. The statistics include every single works religion that exists that names the name of Christ at least on the door. So it's a much smaller percentage. Folks, the world is detracting from Christ. After the rapture of the church, when we're up in heaven, every single person left at that time, except for the 144,000 and the two witnesses that will be called, are unsaved people. Nobody left. God is going to prepare the earth for his coming. Revelation chapter 19 makes it very clear that when Jesus Christ comes back, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, this earth has to be in shape. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter into his 1,000-year millennial kingdom on this earth, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 7. So what is God doing? He is going to purge the earth of everything that is evil. That's why these judgments are taking place, trying to get people's attention, trying to make them understand the wrath of God is here, trying to get people to turn to Jesus Christ and trust him as their personal savior. But so many will not. And that's what these judgments will weed out. So we have the seven trumpets, if you will. Uh, we're starting in Revelation chapter 8 that we'll be looking at. Let's go to verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. It's a beautiful picture. We go back to the Old Testament times when the uh, 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 holy uh, high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. He would always enter in with incense. Incense is a big thing to God. The sweet savor, the sweet smells, the beautiful smells that God enjoys. And he makes it very clear that he enjoys those. But what's even more important here is just not only do I enjoy this incense, which basically the formula is given in the Old Testament, but it's combined with what? The prayers of the saints, your prayers. God wants to hear from you. Folks, I made this statement, and I can't remember when, Wednesday night, previous Sunday. I think it was Wednesday night. On occasion, we'll call a day of prayer. The last time we called a prayer time, not just our Wednesday night time, we did a 12-hour prayer meeting right here at, at Union Grove over on this side of the church. And folks would come uh, throughout that 12-hour period and we'd pray. The 24-hour one actually was better attended than our 12-hour one. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is, I made this statement. We need another prayer time. I said, one day isn't going to cut it. 12 hours isn't going to cut it. You see, we get focused on, and, and even uh, with the government, they'll call it a day of prayer. And it's like, that's not going to cut it. Folks, what we're facing right now, what's taking place, one day of prayer isn't going to cut it. When it's one of the main Christian disciplines that we're to follow. Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. You see, five minutes a day, 30 seconds at mealtime isn't going to cut it. 
And I go back to the Old Testament times when God said, listen to the Jewish people. He set the stage, if you will, for what he expected out of all Christians, out of all the Jewish people. God told the Jewish people back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. He said, listen, we're, uh, we're having a victory time. The temple is being built. And he started to warn the people. He said, listen, folks, if by chance you start to, if you will, fall away from God, if you start doing bad, if you start going into sin, I've got a formula, if you will, for you to get yourselves right with me. And I'm going to turn to it so I don't misquote it. Take your Bibles, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I usually put them on the screen, but today... I just felt led to go here. Second Chronicles chapter 7. One verse which gives us the four principles that God expects if we are to get a hold of the Lord. Again, this was specifically written to the Jewish people after the house of the Lord was completed, which he talks about in verse 11. The temple where God's dwelling would be, it's a victory time, a great time. But he said, listen, if my people start to mess up. If they start going into sin, if they start walking away from me, here's the formula, if you will, how to get right with me. Verse 14, if my people, and again, the specific context was the Jewish people right after the temple was built, but folks, I believe it's very applicable to the modern day 2021 era. If my people who are called by my name we, are, we call ourselves what? Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. If my people who are called by my name will, number one, will you humble yourselves? Humble yourselves. Will you get off my throne and humble yourself? And what? Pray. Pray. I wonder how many of us, when we come up against the wall, when we come against the things that are happening in our world today, when we come up against the announcement that your job is going to be taken, decide to get on our face, humble ourselves, and pray. I need your help, Father. I cannot do this. I've told the, uh, the scenario many times as a young boy. And uh, I always looked to my dad for leadership and for help. And my mom and I... And I come up to my dad, and it's like uh, sometimes with tears, and it's like, I need your help. I need, Dad, I can't figure this out. I, I got to have your help. I can't do it. My dad would look down and smile and say, well, I'm glad you came to me, son. I can help you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I love you. I'll take care of you. But you know, if I would have said, ah, ah, I do this on my own. I'll figure this out, Daddy. <laughs> And shrugged my shoulders at dad and, and, and basically said, I'm five years old. I can handle this problem. I got this nailed. Well, folks, when I'm 25 and 30 and 40 and older and older we get and I keep realizing more and more, I need to keep looking up, put my hand up and say, Father, I need your help. Folks, I, I, what does he say? You got to humble yourselves. Pray. Seek my face. And what? Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Now you're getting to meddling. Turn from your wicked ways. What are those things that drive us away from the face of God? There are so many things that are trying to rob your time, trying to rob who, your relationship with God, and we all know what they are. And I don't have to go through the big long laundry list of things that drive us away from time with God. 
There is so much entertainment available, so many things, so many temptations. And the closer we get to the time when Christ is going to return, the more it's going to increase. And God says, would you seek my face? Would you turn off the nasty television? Would you turn off the nasty internet? Would you stop hanging out with the wrong crowd? Would you stop doing those things which you shouldn't do? Turn from your wicked ways. Then. Oh, cool. Then. What does he say? Humble yourselves. Okay, pray. Number two, seek my face. Three, turn from your wicked ways. Four, then what does he say? I don't hear you. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to listen. And I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. The common question you hear it, if you listen to uh, many of the Christian broadcasts, specifically that are going through current events, the question is constantly asked, is there any hope for America? Have we gone too far? Have we advanced too far on the sin train, if you will, that there's no hope left? Well, folks, if I believed there was no hope left, I would walk out today let somebody else pastor the church. Because where there is not an individual, where there are not people, where there are not groups of people that say, listen, yes, it's tough. Yes, the hard times are here. Yes, we're seeing things happen that we wish wouldn't be happening. But God didn't die. God didn't die. Got a few weeks. God didn't die. Thank you. There we go. Folks, I'm dead serious about that. You say, why'd you just do that? Got to get our attention. God did not die. He's still living. He's still on the throne. He's still watching things over us. And God still is looking for us to get on our face, humble ourselves, seek his face, beg him for revival in this land. I will never stop asking God for revival until the day I die. You say, why? It's so bad. It's so horrible. Fooey on that. Fooey on that. Leadership of all of our people, our deacon board, every single one of you, when others say it can't be done, I say it can. Because we serve a risen Savior. We sang about him this morning. Folks, don't give up hope. Don't stop working for God because he's waiting for those. He's waiting for the incense. What's that incense? It's your prayers. He wants to hear from you. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and earthquake. In other words, it's coming. The announcement of great judgment is upon us. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Folks, how many of you last night, this morning, we lost our power last night about 2 a.m. Say, how'd you know that? Weren't you sleeping? I was till the fan stopped blowing on me. And... Uh, <laughs> What do we hear? Lightning and thunders. And all of a sudden, my mind is like, well, if the electric's out, that means my sump pump, and I live on a spring, and if I may have to run downstairs and get the generator going to make sure. All these, what does it do? You hear lightning and thunder and storms, and it's like, are my fields going to get ruined? Are my crops going to get ruined? Is my house going to get blown away by a tornado? It gets your attention. That's exactly what God's doing here. He's going to get their attention. This is the kind of disasters that happen when you have 
horrible things taking place. It gets our attention. It's going to get the attention of those living during the tribulation. Verse 6, so the angels, the seven angels who had the seven trumpet, trumpets prepared themselves to sound. All right, and again, very quickly, because we're running out of time, I want to get at least to the first couple of trumpets. The six seals that we have already looked at in Revelation 6, the seventh seal, Revelation 8, now unfolds into the next six trumpets. So we'll just quickly go through that for now. All right, I'm going to skip that. Let's go to Revelation 8, 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire fouled, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up. Now, I want you to look back at this slide, please. In red, I've highlighted one particular fraction, one-third. The trumpet judgments, the middle of, if you will, of this pack of judgments that God's going to be bringing upon the earth, the trumpet judgments basically are destroying one third of something. When we get to the final set, the bull judgments, the vile judgments, everything gets destroyed. So we're starting out, we're increasing in intensity. All right, so first thing that happens, we have hail and fire mingled with blood is cast on the earth. What happens when this starts going down? What happens when we start having catastrophic events taking place? Forest fires are burning. We've already known from the first six judgments from the seal judgments there's hunger there's violence everything in the world is going cattywampus if you will millions of people are dying and now it just keeps ramping up the first angel sounded in what hail and fire mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and what else happened a third of the trees were burned up so we have this massive fire taking place across the earth what else happens well let's move to the next one Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. Then the second angel sounded in something like a great mountain, asteroid, who knows, meteor, who knows, but something huge comes out of the sky. What does it do? Like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea becomes blood. Now, folks, here in Wisconsin, that may not be a big deal. However, if you live somewhere around the world and you live on the sea and that's your main source of food and maybe your main source of income, all of a sudden it is being destroyed. It's getting people's attention. One third of these things are literally being burned up. They're being destroyed. Can you imagine, and we, we read about this all the way back in the uh, uh, times of the Egyptians when uh, Moses was uh, delivering the people, talked about turning water to blood. Can you imagine going out to the river, going out to your stream, going out to the lake, going out to the sea, and all of a sudden a third of its blood? In other words, that huge, huge, massive areas, it's undrinkable, it's unusable. Things can't live in it. Massive amounts of fish, that's all, I know, millions of fish there in a particular area, all died because of corrupt water. That's what's going to be taking place. You wonder why there's famine. You wonder why people are killing each other trying to get some food. It's because there's mass chaos on earth because of the sinfulness of man. What else happens? Verse uh, uh, 9. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Horrible, catastrophic time. You just think about it. Right now we're having a huge issue in America. How many of you are builders? Many of you, right? You know what the cost of wood is. You know what the cost of other things are. 
You try and get something into one of our ports today in 2021, and this is not the tribulation period. You know what's happening? You go off the coast, the main coast of our uh, uh, main port areas, and there's ships lined up. You know why? Two reasons. One is because, I don't want to get political, but I can't help myself here. When the administration pays people to stay home, there's no workers. Every single place you go, every place I go, help wanted. Washers, dishers, cooks, mechanics. Every place you go, people are looking for employees. Meanwhile, in other fields, they're trying to fire all of you. Go figure. Yeah. Talk about an oxymoron. What about China? Where all those goods are supposed to be coming from, and they're all locked up somewhere. Can't get them over here. By the way, Revelation 16, Wednesday nights we talk about it a lot. China's a major, 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 major player in the end times. But a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. So we have this horrible uh, 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 waste, if you will, of fish that are dying. Here's a nice little picture of a bunch of ships that got smashed into each other. Can you imagine a third of the ships are all of a sudden destroyed? Folks, that's a great portion of the way we get goods here and around the world. A third of the ships are gone. Folks, this is going to happen. You go to the grocery store with some of these other things, there's not going to be any food on the shelves. There's not going to be any lumber at Menards or Lowe's or any of the other ones, Home Depot. Everything's going to be falling apart. You're like, Brother Rich, you, you understand my life is falling apart today. I do understand that because of some things that are being imposed upon you today. And you can so much relate to what's going to be happening in the future. Say, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is that, folks, there is a rapture that's going to come. We keep looking. It's like, Lord, today, please, get us out of here. But you see what's going to happen. You know how tough it's getting right now. You see some of the issues that we're facing today. And God says, would you please read the rest of the story, what's going to happen, the account. It's going to become exponentially worse on this earth after me and you are gone. And we constantly say, and I constantly remind myself, how much do we really love people? How much do I love my brother? How much do I love my sister? How much do I love my uncle? How much do I love that honorary person that works next, to, next door to me in their cubicle? How much do I love the, 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 the fellow doctor, or the fellow nurse, the fellow, fellow construction person, or the fellow student that sits in my class? How much do I really care and love people? And all of a sudden, God puts these things in the scriptures that are telling us, you think it's bad now. These people will suffer horrible, horrible circumstances. You say, well, what does that mean to me? means Christians we got the answer for whatever reason God could have come down from heaven could have tapped everybody on the shoulder and say hey folks uh, here I am you ready to trust in me and God chose not to do that God made it very clear that he called us to be his ambassadors you see your friends your relatives your loved ones without Christ they're waiting to hear the only message that we can give and folks there's nobody else besides us that can give it nobody else it's only the Christian community, as small as we are, to reach out to those that we love and care about. 
Well, one more than the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. So again, we have this uh, meteor, whatever comes out of the air, whatever God's going to use, falls down, hits the water, and it causes massive destruction, probably tsunamis, probably uh, uh, horrible things that will be taking place. We've seen many of them on the internet, on the news, horrible things, horrible disasters, and we look at them and go, well, glad it wasn't me. All good. And God says, well, for all those left behind, it's going to be them. There'll be no escape. We're going to close this out. I'll come back to the rest next week, but I want to close with this slide. Still got a little bit to go there, huh? My wife always says, leave them wanting more. There's a lot more to come. <laughs> what will you do with Jesus today? We just looked at the opening trumpet judgments, the horrible things that are going to be coming. And folks, Again, this is just the beginning of what's coming. When we get to those bold judgments, everything's going to be destroyed. There will be no water on the earth for a short period of time. The sun, the global warming is going to become a, a, a reality in Revelation 16 for a short period of time. People will be scorched to death. They'll be crawling around looking for water. There'll be no food. You're like, that's a horrible, horrible picture. And you're right, it is a horrible picture. So let's end on a good note. What does this mean to you today? Can I ask you a question, please? Where would you go if you were to die right now? I say, Brother Rich, I don't know. I don't know if I would go to heaven or not. I hope I get there. I think I get there, but I don't know. Listen now. Revelation 21.8 tells us the end game for every single person that doesn't know how to positively answer that question of where are you going to go when you die. Here's the end game. Revelation 21.8 says that all, if you will, sinners, all those who don't know Jesus Christ will spend an eternity in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone for eternity. That's the end game for every single person that hasn't done what I'm going to recommend you do in just a few seconds. That's the end game. Do you wish to spend eternity burning in a lake of fire and brimstone where you will not You'll never die again. You'll just suffer and suffer for eternity. That's not politically correct, is it? That's a nasty thing to tell folks. Well, folks, it's even nastier not to tell them and allow them to go there. And here's the answer. Are you ready? Please listen and we'll be done. What will you do with Jesus? And he asked us to do just one simple thing. Number one, he said, first of all, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us sinned. We've all done wrong. We can't get away from it. We're born sinners. God says in Romans 6, 23, because we've sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would burn forever in that place called hell. A word that's so politically incorrect, most preachers won't even use it anymore. But it's true. The third thing God said is Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven. Why? Because he wanted to pay for his, your sins. Why? Because he loves you. Isn't that good? God loves you enough that he came down and said, listen, I'm not only going to give up my job for you, if you will, I'm going to give my life for you because I love you. I care about you. And he goes to the cross willingly. He suffers willingly. He dies willingly. He is buried and three days later rises again from the dead. Willingly. And he said, I knew all that. 
how do I know if I die, go to heaven? And he says, you've got to do one thing. You're like, well, I've been trying to work my way. I'm doing all these great things. I've gone to Sunday school. I've been baptized. I've taken communion. I try to be good. To... And God says, shh. It's time for that silence in heaven. Shh. I don't want to hear what you've done. You know, there's only one way to get to heaven. Not only understand what, I, what you just said you understood, here's what you have to do. For by grace, God's free and merited gift are you saved through what? Faith. Faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Here's how you get to heaven. Not only understanding your sinner, not only understanding the penalty of sin, not only understanding what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, but realizing that the only way to pay for our sin and your sin is to accept that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you. Have you done that? Folks, if you haven't, and the rapture happens in our lifetime, I don't mean to be coy, but good luck. It's coming. If you're a Christian today, you know Christ is your Savior. You've already placed your faith and trust in Him. It's on us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll heal their land and I'll forgive their sins. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, this is not easy things to preach about. Horrible, horrible, disastrous, catastrophic things that will be coming in the future. Lord, first of all, we look up and we say, just like our good friend Dr. DeYoung says, every time at the end of every message, we're just looking up until, until you come to get us. And Father, we're saying, Maranatha this morning, please come get us soon. Father, today for those that are here that have never trusted Christ, those watching on the internet today, would you please prick their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit? If you're out there today and you're ready to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, would you simply put your faith in what he did for you this very moment? Just receive that free gift. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you're lost. Yes, Jesus paid the price. Would you now accept the free gift of placing your faith and trust in him and accepting the free gift? Would you do that right this moment? Would you tell them in your own words, something like this maybe? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I understand that Jesus came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose again, and I'm trusting in what he did. I'm receiving the free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in him. Thank you for saving me. Now, Father, there's many Christians here this morning, many watching. And Lord, it's so hard to fight the fight. It's so hard to tell others the greatest news ever given to man. I don't know why that is, but Father, would you give us the tenacity to share the good news? Would you help us to do the things that you've called us to do? If you're here this morning, what do you need to do? What do you need to change? What do you need to do to walk with God, to be a blessing to other people, and to help them find the greatest answer of all times that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Would you give... Whatever it is, back to the Lord. Would you take away those things that have been uh, stopping you from doing the right things? You know in your life what it is. Would you give it to him right now? Ask for help. Reach up to the Father right now. Grab his hand. Say, oh, God, please help me to do this. Father, seal decisions. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.